for one. The companies have a 600% higher survival rate. Um, Incredible. That's pretty cool. It's like, six times bigger, so we're talking about... So if you have 10 investments, and you usually go for the VC business for one that rocks, that maybe rocks with 20 times, you suddenly have six that go with six times. Roughly. Mm-hmm. So that is an um, only mind game, but in, 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 in itself, you have higher probability of those companies surviving. And the reason for that is, is that every one of those companies needs to make profits because otherwise not me as a, as a CEO, not anyone in the company will get money out of it. And the second is, is that everyone is working towards the purpose of the company. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to The Pioneers Show, the show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are creating their own trails and creating their own lives, so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. This is episode 7, and I'm your host, Andre Dialkerk. You can find me at It's Andre on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the show at Pioneers Show on Instagram or on the website www.pioneersshow.com. Before I go and explain who the guest of today's episode is, I would really, really like to thank Sam for the introduction. With us today, we have Oliver Sauter. Another cool aspect that shows the international life of Berlin is that I've done the first seven episodes of this show face-to-face all in Berlin, and Oliver is the first German-born person that I talk to. Oliver is the founder of Worldbrain, a company that, according to him, has been through four different iterations since its creation. He is a smart, very smart guy. We go all over the place in this conversation from how we get information to rather a different way of startup financing that I actually never heard of. I'm truly happy that I had a chance to talk with Oliver and I really learned a lot during this conversation and I hope you like it too. So without any further ado, let's jump into the conversation with my man, Oliver. Welcome to the show, Oliver. How are you, man? I'm really good, actually. Today was a very productive day. Oh, good. Had a great weekend, so it was a good start. Into it was it. a long weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, somehow a lot of partying happened accidentally. <laughs> it's Berlin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was on a wedding and then on the football finals, even mm. though I'm not a football fan at all. No? No. What do you prefer? Um, Any kind of sports? No, no team sports. I'm, I'm not really into like watching team sports mm-hmm. or more like playing than watching. Yeah. Uh, but also not football. Like I just accidentally happened to get tickets for free, and so I just went. Why not? Right? <laughs> it was like, oh, that was good. Good to know. Once again, and I've told you this beforehand, but thank you so much for staying for being here on the Pioneers Show. It's a great honor to have you here. Uh, so, for people at home who don't know who you are, care to give like a two-minute pitch about yourself? Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Oliver. I'm the founder of the World Brain Project. Um, my personal mission or passion is, is that we build a technological and economical foundation to get our society to be more collaborative instead of competitive-based. Um, and on the technical side is what we build with Worldbrain, and on the economic side is how we structure the business uh, in itself. So um, we don't really have shares mm-hmm. in, in the company. Okay. Uh, in order to incentivize investors and collaborators. But I'll come to that point a bit later. Um, yeah, so basically for, for me, my purpose is that we, that we find a way on making it cheaper and more profitable for companies and the whole economy to collaborate instead of competing. When you say collaborate, are you saying collaborate in terms of what? Everything or more in terms of information? Because I know that it's a big selling point. But mm-hmm. when you say collaborative, what do you mean? So... 
maybe I'd like the, okay I have to repeat that part mm -hmm. before and then I come back to the collaborating uh, thing so a part of that well, I, I have to start differently so I believe that humanity has a lot a lot of problems and a mm -hmm. lot of challenges that get ever more complex right mm -hmm. now um, and that we cannot solve with the current mindsets that we have. Okay. Our, our economic systems are based on competition and are based on the assumption that we're operating in an infinite system, mm -hmm. but we have finite resources, uh, as well, human as well as ecological. Um, and so we need to have uh, better decision-making mm -hmm. and we need to have uh, more collaboration on every level in society. So we need to have more collaboration between companies to collaborate on core infrastructure. Um, uh, for example, uh, two solar panel makers could collaborate on the R&D and have, have serve their specific markets really well. Mm -hmm. But instead, right now, both of those companies go and put in a lot of money into R&D because it's cheaper to compete. It's cheaper to build or more profitable to build up IP and then go and market it and grow as big as possible, mm -hmm. right? So the incentives need to switch towards it's actually cheaper to, co to collaborate in, and more profitable to collaborate on the economic level. So why, okay, then this comes to a simpler and more basic question in terms of economic. Why do you think it's important for, okay, societal level, I understand why it's important for, it's cheaper and it, I assume it's better in terms of resource. But why would a company want that, assuming that they want to maintain market position, there's, on, there's egos involved, how do you make the transition and what's the main financial incentive, assuming that we're talking about brand perspective and financial perspective and everything that's against everything, everyone who studies management? Um, so to answer that question, you actually already asked a really important question. What is the financial incentive? to make that possible. Because at the end, we're living in a society where fine, like economics mm -hmm. are the most fundamental driver mm -hmm. still. And it won't, we won't get to a Venus project style techno-communism in the mm -hmm. next 100, 150 years. There is a level where we need to incentivize on a very bare-bone money level. Mm -hmm. And so in order to look into how we can shift to more collaboration, um, we first need to look into how right now companies, um, investors and uh, collaborators inside a company are incentivized or par participate in the growth of the business. Mm -hmm. And what we have right now is shares, right? Okay. Stocks. Um, and these stocks uh, produce two incentive structures. One is infinite growth expectation. Mm -hmm. So a stock can be worth $1, it can be worth $10, it can be worth 100 it can be worth a billion like theoretically, not necessarily practically, but it can be mm -hmm. worth anything. And the second is, is that the, the price of the company, the value of the company is very much um, uh, a speculative thing, right? Yeah. Like it's an approximation to has this company increased its user numbers over the past quarter? Uh, has it increased profits? Has it increased specific numbers? Has it been acquired by other other people? Mm -hmm. Has it been funded by Andreessen Horowitz and suddenly stuff like that? This, yeah. is, this is the metrics that we use to approximate the value. And those two, uh, infinite growth and speculation, produce an incentive structure for everyone in the company to centralize as much power as possible mm -hmm. and to suck up all economic value 
as, as much as possible because only then each, sub, each subsequent investor will pay more, right? Mm -hmm. Like the first investor pays only if the second investor pays. The second investor pays if the third investor pays. And so if he expects the third investor to pay more. So you have this ladder of growth mm -hmm. that is unstoppable. And you see it as a company uh, of Facebook that grew within 10 years, 12 years to be like this behemoth, this centralized one monolithic structure that's actually very detrimental to the health of the internet mm -hmm. and to actually to the health of society. We see it right now. Yeah, the, right uh, now, the, all the privacy problems. Yes, and Cambridge Analytica. But this stuff has been known for like 10 years. It's a, it's a, it's a, the classic business model that evolves out of having shares and speculative shares. And so the question for me was, in order to like not make this mistake and not contribute to, to such a system, how do I find a way of incentivizing people and part letting them participate in a fair way in the growth of the business mm -hmm. without the company value being speculative? And actually, this is the reason uh, why it took me a relatively long time to raise money is because I was very strict about that. I was like, I'm not going to raise money if that means I have to sell shares. Hmm. So last year, around May, I was looking into the whole crypto, um, crypto scene and mm -hmm. specifically how we could apply it inside WorldBrain. But apart from it not being ready mm -hmm. as... As, a, as utility tokens and as also like financial tokens, it was again speculative. Like mm -hmm. it was clear that if I, if I deploy a cryptocurrency and make an ICO, I basically play the same game only on a global scale. And I don't centralize. Um, I centralize, centralize again, but around the economy, not say the company, mm -hmm. which again m makes a competitive landscape. Yeah. And it doesn't solve, it, it's basically, I, I consider most of the cryptocurrencies out there as being um, capitalism on steroids. <laughs> Because it's, you have no, there's no limiting factor anymore. Everybody can be an investor. And before you have to go through the whole hassle and buying stocks and, and, and there's, there's just a higher friction that mm -hmm. prevents people to readily say, sell stuff mm -hmm. like this. So yeah, basically now what is the solution? How can we remove the speculative value and how can we remove the unlimited growth expectations of all the people involved so that these two incentives do not lead to centralization but, uh, but instead lead to collaboration? Because if the company doesn't need to grow infinitely, mm -hmm. at some point it can stall and it still makes enough money for everyone. So that like a lifestyle like, business kind of thing, or no, any business. Like this is this is. Um, so I explained this, the, mm -hmm. the model before I, I go into how how um, specifically can change things. Um, so, as a company, when you get investors, um, or if you want to give shares to uh, collaborators, those people have shares, but mm -hmm. these shares are more of a security, a legal security that in case the company gets sold or the company changes its strategy, that they're not like, oh, we don't have anything. Mm -hmm. But these shares um, have no voting rights and they have, um, oh wait. But, but, I, can, I, can you repeat that please? I can't have to go back. I, sure. like the, the model I'm talking about here, the model I'm talking about here is called steward ownership. And steward ownership basically has the goal of having the company in full control of its purpose, mm -hmm. remove the speculative 
value definition of the company mm -hmm. and puts a cap on the expectation of how much money each person can get out of that business. Okay. Um, and the, it works as following as the following. So if you're investing a hundred thousand into Worldbrain right now, mm -hmm. you would get um, something between five and six times the return on that. And that is predefined. So basically you get shares mm -hmm. and the only entity that can buy back those shares it's you. Is, is, is the company itself. Okay. And, the, and the, those shares have no voting rights and are non-tradable on the open market. Okay. And that would, what that would produce, essentially, is that everyone knows, okay, this is how much I get out at the end. Mm -hmm. um, no one has um, put a speculative value on it because, oh wait, no. So, <laughs> in the end, uh, the advantage of that, of that model is, is that everyone who invests has a limited expectation of growth but this this return they get is proper it's based on the risk that we define beforehand we say mm -hmm. okay between five and six this is a fair return you get um, and on the other hand everyone that works in the company has the same deal so those everyone is geared towards actually making sustainable profits of course but okay but one question then mm -hmm. what's okay so You sell me shares. Mm -hmm. Let's assume I'll buy 100, uh, yeah. 100K. You sell me shares that have no voting rights. Yeah. So my only incentive in buying those shares, it's the financial return with exact risk. And the purpose of the company. And the purpose of the company, yeah. of course. But I'm, I'm assuming on the cold-blooded investor kind of thing that just wants mm -hmm. the money. Yeah. And any kind of control. So I don't have any control of the company. I just have risk management until eventually you can buy the shares back from me or I want yep. to sell those shares. Yes. Um, there is a, actually, if you compare the steward ownership model to mm -hmm. a VC business, mm -hmm. it has similar and sometimes even better returns than a VC model. Hmm. The reason is the following. Um, so the, 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 for one, the companies have a 600% higher survival rate. Um, Incredible. That's pretty cool. It's like, six times bigger, so we're talking about... So if you have 10 investments, and you usually go for the VC business for one that rocks, that maybe rocks with 20 times, you suddenly have six that go with six times. Roughly. Mm -hmm. So that isn't um, only mind game, but in, 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 in itself, you have higher probability of those companies surviving. And the reason for that is, is that every one of those companies needs to make profits because otherwise not me as a, as a CEO, not anyone in the company will get money out of it. Mm -hmm. And the second is, is that everyone is working towards the purpose of the company and not for the sake of the investor return, right? Mm. Because you know what you're working off, once you paid off your investors, all the money that you're making goes either straight back into the purpose or into society through funding other projects, giving out grants and all that stuff. Because, and that's the cool part is now what I said before, you stall at some point. At some point, it's not, it's not necessary to grow anymore. At some point, you can just say, hey, I'm, if you're fa say a kind of Facebook, mm -hmm. you could say, hmm, I'm actually okay with having 100 million users. I can make a hundred of a hundred million users. I can make 400 million a year, a year uh, revenue and I have paid back all my investors. And now everything that I earn goes either to my employees or goes into society. What's the deal? I don't need to grow to 2 billion people. And then 
the interesting part is that, oh, there's Facebook 2 and Facebook 3 and Facebook 4. Hmm, how about we, like, we cooperate on the protocol and make each of our software so well for our 100 million users that at the end everyone gets the perfect product? But then, okay, what stops me, assuming what stops me, Facebook 2.0? So okay, three point assuming that you are building the two point What's once again the financial incentive? Like okay, I'll get to a hundred million, mm-hmm. but I want to get to three hundred. I want to get to one billion. I want to be the the billionaire. Yes, if you do this, then you need to serve three hundred million users really well. And luckily, we have now a legal change mm-hmm. in the GDPR rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this is part of what we're working towards is interoperability. And if you couple the steward ownership model with interoperability, there is no barriers anymore for users to leave, right? I mm-hmm. could just leave and go to Facebook free. And this means Facebook one needs to provide the best fucking service to me. Mm-hmm. If they don't, if they don't cover my workflows in a way that is really useful to me, I can just leave. And so the companies have, can actually not grow as much anymore as before. Because now, since we own our own data, just by leaving, we're not still being there. We're actually out. We're out. We're out of their of their service and use another service, but we can still talk to all the people in Facebook One. That should be the goal, is that I can freely move. And if then those companies all don't have the incentive anymore, they, for one, they don't have the economic incentive anymore mm-hmm. to grow, and they, are, they cannot grow as much anymore then you suddenly get into the stage where it becomes cheaper or more profitable to collaborate. So taking a step back once again, in terms of Worldbrain itself as a company, you said it, you already raised money. We're just in the mode now of, like we have family and friends investments mm-hmm. um, and now we're on the mode of uh, raising another 200,000. So through that. Okay. And the company itself, its biggest service, it's, money-making ability, what's the main service, what's the main product, what, what are you doing now to get money, just so, so that I understand. Yeah, maybe I explain a bit what actually the purpose of the company is, because uh, what I what I started with before was my personal yeah, purpose. Yeah, your own personal purpose. It was, yeah, before it was really how can we transition towards a collaborative society mm-hmm. in many aspects. And the purpose of Worldbrain is, is, or the vision of Worldbrain is how can we, become a society that is less informed uh, sorry more informed <laughs> sorry how do less polarized and more informed and that can make um, complex decisions sustainably mm-hmm. and compassionately mm-hmm. so and how what do you how do you do that um, so the the software that we're developing is basically um, a peer-to-peer social network Mm-hmm. That would allow you as a user to to have 10x, 100x faster web research and more qualitative web research because you could access the knowledge of a diverse group of people mm-hmm. in your web research. Means um, practically this would look like you go on a website and it's about climate change. And if you don't know much about it, you will have a hard time right now to figure out what complexity, right? Of mm-hmm what is related content that would help me to understand the context of this. Or is it actually a good website? You mm-hmm. have to do a lot of work in order to find it out. But it can be sure if you go on that website that a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand people sometimes were on that website before. Mm-hmm. And they may have great knowledge about the complexity of that topic. But all the evaluations that those people make 
consciously and subconsciously on the quality of that article, mm-hmm. you have no access to, right? Sure. And so the, the purpose of, of the World Brain peer-to-peer network is that you can access this knowledge. So it makes it much easier for you to understand its complexity. And ideally, you can follow a diverse group of people as well. You can say, here's a group of climate uh, researchers that are pro-climate change, and here's a group of climate researchers that are against climate change. And what did they think both about the same content that I read? Mm-hmm. What background information did they find, like papers or other articles? Or doing stuff like, instead of a Google search, searching only the websites that both of those groups found relevant in their own research. So having them as a pre-filter mechanism to, Interesting. to find the best content for you because you want to have their information and you trust some of them, some of them mm-hmm. maybe not, but you at least can compare and can like look what is the gray area in between. That's very interesting because I remember the last episode was with a, with a guy called Philippe Stark and he's the CTO of a blockchain company called uh, Gust. And we were talking that the big problem, at least with blockchain right now, is that there's not, it's a very complex matter of speaking. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of materials, I think it's really lacking right now. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's so complex that the starting point, it's already too complex to normal people. Mm-hmm. To normal mort- mortals getting to write what is blockchain on Google will not be good. Mm-hmm. So I think that if we get to a peer-to-peer way of researching that same information, so how, now how do you get that information? So I research what is climate change or how does climate change work? Do I get like on my Google search, do I get like a, a, a pop-up saying, very interesting search, very good. Here is like seven more content related on these websites. Mm-hmm. This could be one way of displaying that information. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this could be one way. And that why I'm saying this so specifically is exactly the kind of interoperability we're looking for, what I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Is that what at some point what we focus on is building a protocol that allows users to exchange that data, mm-hmm. but it's completely up to the user how they want to display it. So if you say, for example, you're a developer and you want to you find it would that use case that you're just talking about i want to have like the best related content next to my google results but our distribution of the memex the tool that we're developing doesn't provide that mm-hmm. you could build a new plugin that hooks into the same protocol and just displays the data like you wish hmm. or or making a more tangible example on what the difference might be is if you look for example how facebook now operates mm-hmm. you have a thousand friends And those thousand friends send you signals, right? Mm-hmm. Likes, shares, comments, like the quality signals that come from them. And Facebook takes all these signals and provides you a new seat, mm-hmm. for example, or group feed or like the different ways they do it. But right now, you don't have any control over how this information is sorted mm-hmm. and how it's selected, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in an interoperable system like we have in mind, it would enable you to say, huh, I'm now getting all these signals from my friends, but I know today was a terrorist attack and I want to have a, a very, very like diverse feed today. Mm-hmm. I want to I see, for example, what do now to use binary, binary description, like what do liberals and conservatives say about that terrorist attack? Today, I know I have a couple of friends that are conservatives and a couple of friends that are liberals, and I want to see from both 
what do they say about it? Mm-hmm. But tomorrow again, not because tomorrow is a normal day, and I want to just have my regular news feed and stuff like and that. And so you reframe your search. You basically just you, what I meant to say is that you put, you use different algorithms mm-hmm. to make your feed in two cases. Mm-hmm. And if you have an interoperable system, then you can do this. And you can even say, I build a new extension that has a very like a only photo news feed. It's an Instagram 2.0, and it's built on the same network of you sharing me, like sharing photos with me. Mm-hmm. But for example, in my Twitter feed, I don't want to have photos of your private life. My 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 Twitter feed is, for example, for professional work, right? Mm-hmm. My Facebook feed is different. Like I want to have a different feed for different use cases, for example. But you cannot do this in a non-interoperable system because you cannot hook into the way your news feed is generated right now. And in in a in to to see to come back to your first example on having having this information next to mm-hmm. um, Google search results, it's only one way to display this information. Another way would be newsfeed, and this newsfeed itself could be different, could be displayed in a in a very and it could be displayed, I assume, in different platforms as well, since it's inter- interoperable. Little yeah. interoperable. So, for example, Facebook could say, huh, say like 15 years from now or so, let's say we're, we're successful with what we do. Mm-hmm. And Facebook realizes that they cannot have a monolithic system anymore. They need mm-hmm. to be interoperable. So what they could say is, hmm, okay, let's hook into the World Brain Protocol and get that data from our users with their consent and provide them this really cool service that Facebook is in itself. Like it is a cool has lacking features and it has its downsides, but itself, it's a cool social network. Mm-hmm. Um, you could make it really cool. Um, and if the users choose to use Facebook as their primary way of interacting, mm-hmm. as their client, as their software, cool. If they want to stop, they can go to Facebook too. And Facebook too might have different algorithms, might have different ways of displaying the data, but what they do is they hook into the same protocol. They hook into this protocol that allows people to exchange signals of quality. Mm. Right? It's like... That's fascinating. Well, okay. And once again, we're assuming that we can have different kinds of content, be it a news feed, be it a, a recommendation kind of thing. It can be like videos, it can be tweets, it can be everything, I assume then. Yeah. Like, basically... As, but, but I assume as, 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 as long as it's indexable, I assume you can then... Yes, and that is what the Memex is for. It indexes all the information. Everything there. that you do. Like it is the, the goal of Memex is to have a very, very privacy-aware uh, software or mm-hmm. privacy-conscious software that puts you in full control over all of your data mm-hmm. um, and that allows you to then, in a very voluntary-based way, share with other people what is relevant content to you and share it without any extra effort. That is... Uh, the goal of it um, because if you start if you want to share what you like about that article or if you found a connection to another article for every single piece on the web that you want to that you research mm-hmm. you won't do it right it has been tried before to have like these um, crowd crowd rating uh, communities yeah but these things are, can be some way uh, changed and adulterated by a, a bigger man I assume bigger player you can have 17 people saying it's five star, but if you can have someone create a hundred accounts, 
Yes, and that's why the re that's why it's so important that the system is peer to peer. Because like what you just talked about is what do you do with trolls? What do you do with bots that mm -hmm. manipulate ratings? Those bots and those trolls only have power because they right now with all the systems centralized, they can influence a rating or they have a stage through their comments mm -hmm. under other articles to people they have no trust relationship with. So when a troll posts a comment on Twitter, you're going to read it if you want it or not, if you scroll through this like comment mm -hmm. section, right? So he actually reached you. And that's why he's so effective. If you had to like follow him or a friend of him before in order to get his information, mm -hmm. it would make it less probable that a troll can actually reach you with his information. Mm -hmm. And this is the core of it. It's like to say, if you don't trust this person, person, you don't get information from them. If you don't trust the group he belongs to, you don't get the information from the group. And the group itself is a selective factor as well. What, what, okay, but then let's assume this. I'm uh, getting back to your example of the climate change. Mm -hmm. You're researching about climate change, and I'm a climate change expert. Mm -hmm. Right now, Andre, how are you? Climate change expert. <laughs> Hello, climate change expert. Um, you're researching about climate change, and you and I come across the same page. Mm -hmm. But as a climate change, climate change expert, I go there, I read three sentences, I see, okay, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I just get out. Yeah. How do you get that information? We are both connected. We are both in the same network. You open the same article. Do you get like, Andre left after three seconds, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Do you, after I leave the page, do I get like a pop-up saying, why did you leave? Is this bullshit? Very good. Read it before, not interested. How do you Mm. algorithmically define display that. that and how do you define it? Just, just so that I understand that part as well. It's a good edge case actually that you're talking about. Um, how do you get negative results fed into the system? Mm -hmm. well, it's not an edge case, it's really important. Like that three seconds thing is like something that is hard to detect. That's what I meant with edge mm -hmm. case. Um, obviously we also need to find a way of like displaying negative results. The quick answer is we, I don't know yet. Okay. I don't know yet how exactly we're using these ratings because it's also a bit in the future. It's not that we're starting with that right now. Mm -hmm. um, but in theory, um, we don't need to come up with it. If we build a system as open as we plan to, mm -hmm. then you could come up with it. So you're building a platform so that developers then can create their yes. own. You could, what, what the Memex is for is to collect all that tiny micro interactions that you do with every content that you're visiting. And on top of that data, you could find all sorts of ways of interpreting it. You could say, for example, I want to do a usefulness rating. And my usefulness rating says, mm, if, it has, if the user has been spending 10 seconds on the article at least, and has been scrolling through it, um, and also has been sharing it on Facebook and bookmarking it. Can you get, can you get, sorry, for, sorry for interrupting you, but can you get like the medium kind of thing? So for example, I know that medium does this a lot and I actually like it. It's the amount of, the amount of times are the most highlighted sentence. Can you get that on a normal website? So does Memex interpret that as well? You could, like that is what I said. Like, oh, actually next feature is comments and annotations. So we're going to have these features anyhow that also make like deep reading uh, an interaction. But essentially the, the goal of the tool is to get all these interactions, to get so, everything that you do with this article. And then people can build plugins to say, oh, I want to exchange this kind of rating with other people. Mm -hmm. And this rating I came up with because I calculated it in this way. 
And then you can say, well, cool, Ollie, you build a really cool way of like defining quality. Mm-hmm. I use your template and I do the same. And if then another person comes up with a better template of defining quality, it's your subjective experience, right? You want to express your subjective bubble. Okay, but then again, I, I came up, I come up with another question because mm-hmm. I, I don't quite enjoy the human race. Mm-hmm. So how can you defend yourself from bad players in that? I say that quality comes from this, but I can also be a troll developer. Mm-hmm. And it, I assume that it will take a long time for you to understand that I'm a troll developer if you have no idea of what you're reading about. Okay, I don't know if I'm explaining it right. Wait, give me one second. So you say, this is how I define quality. But I can be bullshitting once again. Yeah. How can you, you Oliver, by using my template, you can also you can be spending like three weeks of your life using a very bad template. Mm-hmm. I assume. How yeah. can you, is it possible to defend against these kinds of things, or is it just like how whole life is? I think that's evolution, basically. Uh, okay. There's there's bad draws and there's good draws, and if uh, the key to everything is transparency. As if long as you're being transparent, you're being. The code is open source right? Mm-hmm. Like the code is completely open source. So if I provide a template to you and say like, these are the metrics I use for quality, this template is there. And people will gravitate towards those templates that are vetted by the community, right? That are, have a trust seal of like, okay, this is actually a good, mm-hmm. good way to do it. And even if it's not a good way to do it, at the end, it's about me sharing a quality rating with you and you're the person to trust me again. So if I use bad ratings, a bad way of saying this is a good article, mm-hmm. and I, I basically tell everyone this is a good article, but actually I, I want to share shitty articles with my network, this won't last long in a peer-to-peer network. Over time, you're going to be like not trusted anymore because mm-hmm. people suddenly realize, oh shit, this guy is like hi- using... Uh, He's the system to promote articles from bullshit websites. Mm-hmm. And then, then you lose your followers and then people just go. Okay, one another question. So we're assuming... Oh, no, no, not assuming. Okay, another question. Mm-hmm. Is the, the world brain protocol is going to be built on top of existing interfaces? So you're not going to have one central... It's a peer-to-peer thing, but you're not going to have like a central place like www.worldbrain.io, I think. Is it I.O.? Yeah. To search things, it's going to be on top of... It's interoperable once again, yeah. right? So, that is a... How, coming back to your early, early question, how we make money, mm-hmm. that feeds into this a bit. Um, but I come back to the money question in a second again. Um, so, short answer is that it's not dependent on us as a company. Like who provides the servers, uh, where your where your data is stored, um, how it is reachable? Because we use a technology called DOT protocol. DOT protocol. DOT DAT. Uh, DAT. Mm-hmm. DOT protocol that provides a different namespace for content addressability. That's a bit geeky now, but like basically, when you look it into into a URL, mm-hmm. the URL very very precisely defines. Okay, this is the domain name, and behind that DNS records then say this is the server, mm-hmm. right? If one of those two entities fail, mm-hmm. like if the domain name changes or if the IP of the server changes, then you can't locate that content anymore. Mm-hmm. With that, you have a hash, and that hash defines the location. 
But now that the protocol searches for all the locations where it's stored, but it, uh, if you once define the address with the hash, it doesn't matter on which server it lies. Mm -hmm. So it can it can be replicated on multiple servers actually, like IPFS. No. Interplanetary file system. system. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar way of doing it. It's basically saying, we're giving you the hash. The protocol itself knows where, where the locations are, but it's not one location. It can be multiple. And even if one goes down, then others are there still. Um, and so for, for in our system, it's really not important who hosts that server, who replicates these nodes. Like they're called mm -hmm. nodes, um, where like a node is basically a unit... Um, with a with a content address, with okay. an address. So, um, so you can basically replicate a node over multiple servers, mm -hmm. and this means, in in our case, um, now coming to the business model, what we offer you as a subscription based model is to have Memex Cloud, which is a um, a server software that mm -hmm. you can either deploy yourself if you know how to do it mm -hmm. or you can pay us to do it for you. But you can also pay anybody else to host it for you. The person you trust most, the company you trust the most, that is the company you want to host it with. Be it centralized like Amazon? Could be anyone really. Like It, it doesn't really matter. Um, and um, it, it's What we want to get into is this kind of trust as a currency, both when we're researching together but also which companies actually trust. And because now with the start protocol, I can just move all my data to any other company without losing access, without having to wonder, oh, are other people still able to access my annotations and all my data that I shared with them? It doesn't matter. Like, you just move to someone else. Like the Facebook 2.0 to 3.0. Exactly. You just say, I go to Facebook 2.0. And um, I can still talk to my old friends on Facebook 1. Um, and I can, I can use the same posts that I made. I don't have to repost all of them or download my whole archive. Can you do that through Memex or through the protocol? Because that's actually very interesting. So imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but then it, it, let's assume the, the blog space, you don't have to repost everything. So imagine that I'm on Medium mm -hmm. and I now want to create my own blog on WordPress. Yep. Through the, that protocol slash through WorldBrain, can I just move to WordPress? If both support the protocol and the data formats. And are you... So the, the DAT protocol, no, is it the WorldBrain protocol or the DAT protocol? DAT is a is a own technology. It's not the the WorldBrain protocol in, relies in, 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 on the DAT protocol. Is is more about what is the data format that is used mm. to transmit like transmit information. Mm. What I'm what I was talking about is really the core technology that would make it possible okay. for you to move, and the data model itself, mm -hmm. like the structure of the data, can be put on top of that, like, yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, where? Okay, th these are going to be some weird questions now. So, where did you start to learn more? Okay, one bigger step back. What did you study? Uh, physics and civil engineering. Okay, how, but I never finished. So, how did you get into this area? What did you do to learn more about this? Mm -hmm. um, I just started with a passion. I started with a problem, basically. I what was, was your problem? Misinformation. I was um, like about four, actually no, it started, oh, it started actually earlier. It started with a period in my life where I was really, really frustrated on how global governance works mm -hmm. and how money as a prime 
incentive structure has so much power over the decision-making process we have right now. Mm -hmm. And so I also realized in this process that um, we need to find a way of... Now, we also have the problem of that the technologies we use right now to make decisions are based on book printing, mm -hmm. these hierarchy structures that we have, where we have representative democracies, mm -hmm. is there because we couldn't put 100,000 people into a room and uh, let them help them, like, tell them, hey, can you help us uh, sourcing information and can you help us with processing that information in order to come to a solution, a decision. Mm -hmm. But now we can, right? Like, now we can theoretically put 7 billion people into a room if we want to. Of course. Uh, but the question is, if you do this, how would you come to a decision? <laughs> and um, so the... In the, theory, on a democratic way, like... Yeah, yeah. the question is, how. what is the democratic way? Like, the way it's done right now with public elections, like we have right now, not at all. Like, not not possible. So... Why is it not possible? Because you see how, how influenceable people are. Like if you make if you have public uh, elections right now, everything's based on emotions and not on on rational. At least it doesn't need to be exclusively rational, but it a bit more, <laughs> <laughs> a bit more as we have right now uh, when it comes to electing leaders uh, would be great. Um, Are you German? Yeah. Okay, just just curious because of um, Brittany, UK in America. There's a lot of. Yeah, we German as well. Like not as much, uh, but to to we feel it as well, having these kind of emotionally driven debates. So they're not really productive. And so that was that's what I said. With the goal is effective decision making, mm -hmm. sustainable decision making, and compassionate decision making. These are the three elements of a, of a society I want to live in. And so you were um, you were saying that you were uh, not happy. Let's put it this way about how the governance was working around the world. What, yeah. and <clears throat> so you started researching, I assume, and there was a lot of misinformation. So World Brain was more of a way... Okay, let me ask this first. Was the passion, your main passion, already there? Or was it... Or did you discover, did you have like an aha moment? I had pretty much this latter, like an aha moment where I, where I realized how frustrating this is. And I'm a natural problem solver. How did you, sorry to interrupt you, but how, how did you realize that problem? What happened? What, what were you researching? What were you reading? I was not, I was not, I cannot think back on, on like one specific article that I read that made that frustration come up. It was mm -hmm. a period, like I said, it was like three weeks, four weeks where everything built up and it has been building up for a longer time before, mm -hmm. um, where I just got really, really frustrated and it became so obvious to me that if we don't solve this particular problem of effective decision-making, we're not going to survive this century. Point. Like, and, and from that point on, you, you decided, okay, this is, you found your passion or you found something that you were very passionate about? Yeah. And was it instantaneous that you started to build something on top of that? You were saying that you're a natural problem solver. So I, I th from that period on, I, I played, like I thought a lot. I was basically thinking a lot on how, how, how would a dynamic, what, what kind of dynamics and structures and decision-making flows would we need? It was really just like sitting and thinking and talking to people and understanding the problem space because I was a newbie, right? I was like, I didn't do anything in that direction before. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was studying twice. Uh, uh, I was working in an advertisement agency. I was having my first startup at some point, um, an event management software, like a buffer mm -hmm. for event data. 
So it was not really related to all of that. But so you, you were a programmer? No. I also I learned programming, but I'm for making the product, but not for, like, I was none of that. Mm-hmm. I was basically, yeah, I was not really anything concretely. I was still a floater at that point. And that's interesting because I think that a lot of people, at least in my age and people that, the, the, the main audience of this podcast, the students, the, the people who want to leave their business, either have like a very specific set of skills or, like, or, broad. or a broad set of skills. So they either are something or they are nothing. Yeah. And I have like, actually, I was lucky. I was really, really lucky that this problem came to me and that I, consi- I had enough self-confidence. I had enough self-confidence in this, the skills and I had the right skills, I believe, to start. What were they if you had to, to enumerate them? So, um, for one, that I'm a problem solver, mm-hmm. that I'm relatively optimistic. So these two are soft skills. Do you? What yeah, kind but like of there's like broad. Like I was, I was, I have technical skills since I worked in a start in a tech startup before. Um, I understood how like software works, but I could mm-hmm. not code. But I understood it on a high level. I was like I said, I was very optimistic. I'm. I don't give up easily. So I had also the, the like the, the, the drive, the, the drive hustle. and endurance to get now through almost four years to get to a point where we're right now. And now we're starting, right? It's not like we're now starting with everything. We're really still in our infancy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had a, like a, an emotional um, education that led me to be compassionate enough in order to understand. No worries, no worries. I, shall I repeat? No, 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 no worries. Oh. Um, so yeah, I'll do it anyway. So um, I had a I had a luck of having a very um, compassionate education through my mom, through my schools um, that really also allow me to understand the problem and to feel with the problem over a longer period of time. And not just saying, ah, oh, it's governance; we cannot solve it anyhow. But really, like knowing that it's critical to to our survival. And mm-hmm. I, at the end, it was like, okay, I just might as well think through it and. And, and start with it. And so over the first year or so, I was not really putting it into like action. Mm-hmm. I was more or less thinking about the problem space and talking to people. And then there was a defining moment where um, a lot of things came together that actually then made the World Brain Project start as it is. So when I, re- when I thought about the solution to, to uh, global governance, or let's say just governance in general, mm-hmm. is that we need to be able to c- get away from this hierarchy structure, like representative p- permit, mm-hmm. to a distributed governance. And what I mean with that is that we, in order to solve these plentora of complex challenges that we cannot effectively solve anymore. Oh, by the way, every senator in the U.S., needs to make three like this decisions on 3500 bills per year 3000 500 so 10 per day on average if you would decide on one per uh, on if you had to work every day you had he, to, that, that's no time to make a, a valid decision i, I assume n- never so the whole what happens i mean okay this is obvious but do you do more than one big decision per, per month <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, and you decide on a on a bill that sometimes has hundreds of pages that you theoretically need to understand. So it's not only that politicians are bad people or stuff like that, or like they 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 literally cannot decide anymore because they're also information overwhelmed. Like, mm-hmm. they cannot process that amount of information anymore, and it becomes more complex because we're 
becoming a more global society. So that is the, the really practical issue that needs to be solved. How do we make it possible that all these 3,500 bills get passed in a sustainable and effective manner, right? And how do you do that? Because that doesn't seem very sustainable. Yes, and but you need to make those decisions. Those decisions are there because they need to be made. But, but is that a constitutional thing? Not just the amount of information, like the amount of bills that get passed uh, through the system every year. And so the question is, how can we distribute this? How can we find for every of those decisions the 100, 200,000 people in the world that have the most knowledge about that mm -hmm. area and another 200,000 people that are affected by the decision? They might not have all the decision-making power, but they at least get heard. And they get heard in the process. And like, what? how does it affect you? How can we... How can we take this into account when we make this decision? But we have a lot of people making the decision that are really, really, really well suited to do it. Not right now, where we have like one politician deciding on agriculture that has never touched the ground of a farm. How should, like, seriously, it doesn't, doesn't sound to me that it's going to be sustainable. So that was the, 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 the next space, like the next step in the problem definition is, okay, now if this, if this is the case, how, how do we make that effective? Because if you put 100,000 people now into a room, all those 100,000 people will have different opinions. And those different opinions are, to a big degree, if not some of it's them noise. all, is based on misinformation. And like it's mostly noise, I assume. Also noise, yes, also noise, but yeah, that is that is another another issue. The the thought process did case in this case was really like, if you have so many different opinions, you cannot come to an effective decision. Mm -hmm. And if those opinions, how are they formed? And those opinions are over years they're formed by information. Those people and sometimes get, misinformation, as you were saying. Sometimes misinformation, and I believe to a big degree in a lot of cases it's misinformation. And this means you cannot make effective decisions if you want to make societal decisions in our society, then it's still right now the more effective system, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not possible to, to process all of that, you at least don't give the decision-making power into 100% populism, right? If, if, mm -hmm. you, if you give 100,000 random people the decision, you effectively you let society decide on each of those fates. Mm -hmm. And this is it's not possible right now, at least. It's not possible with the information landscape we have. And it's not possible, that is the second element of it, it's not possible without knowing about each of those people are they an expert in this area, but not in this. And you need to know this. Otherwise, you cannot distribute the decision-making to the right people. The thing is, even between experts, sometimes you have this different opinions. Yeah. Let's yeah. go for the health area. Yeah. I think that's the one that you have a lot of experts and every day you hear of a different study and different thing that contradicts itself. How do you... Is it then like a matter of numbers? It's... Oh, that, that's like until we get to the stage of having mm -hmm. uh, okay. this decision-making, there needs a lot needs to happen. I can go into this if you want to, mm -hmm. but it's still like a long, long process. And how is it... Okay, if it's the long process in the future, how is it in the present day? Like if, if you have right now, like right now you have the luck that if you define someone as an expert, they don't necessarily have decision-making power, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you need to find metrics on how you define an expert. Mm -hmm. And um, like I come, I come to that part a bit later because I, what I want to do now is I want to go back to 
like how I got to Memex. Okay. And then how Memex basically allows, um, and then afterwards, I, how Memex leads to all those steps. Okay. At least I have it in my mind. A lot can change in the future, and mm -hmm. I'm not fixed on that. Actually, I pivoted four times with that product as well. So I'm, I'm really taking in what is the best solution and what we can can come up collaboratively in the process. Okay, before you go into that, I have one question. So if, you are, if you've done four pivots, means that you have to be very flexible, but how do you make your own decision? How you structure your own decision making? Because four pivots, it means that throughout the existing business of Mimics and Worldbrain, you had f at least five things that made you switch your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Either the one that made you create something or the consequent four I made you make the pivot. It was it was the basically the steps um, I'm trying to explain now mm -hmm. are exactly the steps that led me through the pivots coming to here. Okay. Um, so yeah, so the, the the problem was how do we get the, how do we get the ratings for people mm -hmm. of of every topic they're an expert in or not, and how do we come to a very high fact agreement within a decision? So. Can the majority of the people at least agree on the basic facts? What is the most atomic element that we can agree on? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, ideally, right? Like, otherwise you will have people tossing around theories and like it will, be, it will become really messy. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of facts that we could agree on. Um, they're not necessarily bound or related to worldviews and stuff. Like gravity, like... You don't have to agree to to know that it's there. Yeah, like there's a lot of like a lot of subjective experiences that point to an objective reality. In quote unquote, I'm not like the Earth is round and not flat. Yes, stuff like that. There's there's certain <laughs> things in each discussion that we could agree on if we had an open mind and like mm -hmm. really went through the nitty gritty details of doing that. So we need to have a high fact agreement, and then exactly was the the, the point why I why I got to the, the the reason to understand that it's about misinformation at the end was I myself was really, really misinformed um, about the topic of agriculture and GMOs and organic farming and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And through a very painful, very painful in the sense of like uncomfortable mm -hmm. experience, I had to face my own ignorance in this topic uh, because I was talking to a person that had a complete opposite opinion as me, to me. Mm -hmm. And I had like all these arguments and I could, and he had two, every of my arguments a really, really good counter-argument. And I was asking myself, what? Like, how is it even possible that he has such an opinion? And because he needs to have different information than me, right? Otherwise, he would not have this kind of complete opposite opinion. And the second question I asked myself was, where do I, did I get this information from in the first place? Mm. And then I realized that, it, that my, my main consumption of, uh, about this problem space, agriculture and GMOs and organic, organic farming, was uh, passive consumption of information. Um, through my Facebook feed, mm -hmm. through conversations with people that had a similar... Opinion, everything. Uh, exactly, this information bubble I was in. Something that you read, overread in a newspaper, something that exactly. you heard in a radio, something. So I was not really proactively researching. And I realized, oh, okay, hmm, I consider myself intelligent enough to understand the difference, and I afterwards did um, so why didn't I do it in this case and then I realized there's a thousand different topics that you encountered every day mm -hmm. 
and you cannot do your research for every single of those topics. means inevitably, whatever you're going to read, you're going to be misinformed to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, and there has been afterwards some studies pointing towards uh, the circumstance that if you expose people to conflicting information before or while they read content, they're less likely to believe it and less likely to incorporate it into their belief systems because they from the get-go know, oh, there is something fishy, fishy about it. Um, and further, like for those people who want to execute on critical thinking, they have no tools to do so, right? They cannot really understand the complexity fast. So they need to um, obey to the fact that they're going to be misinformed, uh -huh. knowingly. <laughs> they might not be as vocal about it anymore if they, about certain topics, but still, they're going to be. They're going to be and they're going to express uninformed opinions or uninformed information to other people. And so it was clear, in order to even get to a fact agreement, we need to increase the, the quality of information that we're having, that mm -hmm. every, every person is exposed to. And um, the, the, the easiness to acquire understanding of complex topics, in that sense. And this is basically the step of the World Brain Network, is how do we make that process really, really fast. Okay, that was the first build. So the first build was a, a, a subreddit where I started to um, started to fact check those articles. Oh, interesting. Where I tried to like, and then I realized pretty quickly on how much work that is. Like I, I fact checked maybe like 30 or 50 articles and I tried to find people doing it with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously I took a lot of time to do it. And secondly, no one wanted to do it because they knew it's so much work. Mm -hmm. And if you, like you... Basically, the, the learning from that was, I cannot do it on a voluntary basis, right? I need to find something that, some software that people would use for their own sake, for their own productivity that would produce a lot of that met metadata as a byproduct of mm -hmm. using the tool. Um, and so the, the second step was that I um, wanted to build and some, something actually similar to this, you know, hypothesis maybe. No. Hypothesis is an annotation tool, and okay. I was I was frustrated with with the kind of bookmarking tools that are out there, um, specifically because they didn't allow me to do any annotations and commentary mm -hmm. into like from the research I did right from mm -hmm. the from the from the um, your own research on the agriculture. Yes, and on, on the subreddit, I was like, ah, oh, I would I would love to like leave all those notes and point in the article, but I cannot. I cannot really mm -hmm. share this information. So I thought about this uh, annotation-driven bookmarking tool. Mm -hmm. um, turned out that in the beginning it was a bit more tricky uh, to put this into action, and there was actually not a lot of people wanting to have deep reading features as a default, okay. as the main value proposition. Like a bookmarking tool that just does deep reading would, would maybe reach academics, some students, but not... Some journalists, maybe. Some Yeah, some journalists, but not a broad audience. Like, it, it needed to... It, I, I was aware that in order for this research network to flourish, it needs to reach billions of people, right? Like, it, mm -hmm. that is the scale we're talking about. Otherwise, it would be a niche product that, that a com some people are using, but it needs to reach the scale of Facebook to, to get to... to um, to have the effect that is necessary. I could argue that it should be bigger than Facebook then. It should reach the scale of the internet itself. 
Yes, and I, I believe theoretically what we're building could bring that. And I could I come to that then a bit later as well. Um, so yeah, so basically the requirements were how can we build a tool that is used by literally everyone on the web at some point or in some variation. That's whatever, like interoperability. Mm -hmm. In some variation, the tool that we're building needs to be used by everyone on the web. I mean, even if we don't build the tool itself at the end, but some something that is that is working like memex in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, then I pivoted towards something more of a, a search engine that allows you to search in specific knowledge sources. So basically a Google that allows you to um, create collections of websites that you really like. Mm -hmm. And when you do research, you could like go into these collections and only search those collections. Okay. Like a more focused search. Mm -hmm. um, turned out that this part was specifically because we didn't have the manpower to do it. Uh, massive, massive undertaking. Because in order to make that uh, good, you need to build a crawler that is capable, and it costs a lot of money to to actually uh, build a search engine, a horizontal search engine like Google is. And competing with Google for them, it would be like this to add this feature. And for us, it would make massive amounts of monetary expenses necessary to even get to... Um, a usable product, mm -hmm. and, and what was the the, the other uh, the the, um, the other pivot? Then after the that? last pivot was Mimex. So over that period, I also realized that actually one of the really annoying problems on the web is how do I find my stuff again that I either saw or that I produced, like comments that I wrote or um, websites that I saw or videos, and like how do I find that stuff? And I realized that the Abilities to do so are so limited mm -hmm. by the by the very practical nature of how the web is built. Mm -hmm. Like you have all these silos and everyone has different silos, right? Mm -hmm. So every and that is now the key. Everyone has that problem to a certain extent. And it's basically because the web is built like this. And you you need to like if you solve this critical issue, you could solve it for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Because everyone who uses the web will encounter the problem to a certain degree. And yeah, this was then the fourth pivot, and to get to um, to Memex today. I actually think that was. I remember I was already following Worldbrain, but when I f saw this launch, I was like, "Whoa, this is game changer for me!" Because I'm always, I'm always with 17 tabs open yeah. on <laughs> five different pages, yeah. five different windows. I'm always reading something, and then when I want to get back to it, I remember a specific sentence. I remember some some keywords, but if I go to Google, the, the same keywords are in seventeen thousand pages. pages. Yeah, but I've never opened those pages, but one. And I think that the fact that you can research things that you've searched before is like invaluable, at yeah. least for me. And I'm not a researcher; I'm just some someone who's using the web, using the web, and I'm naturally curious. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very valuable thing nowadays. Yeah. And this is this is this is when it clicked. Because in order to make all those searches possible, we're talking about mm -hmm. like that article I posted last year on Facebook. That I, oh yeah, also I opened it. I opened it at a conference first because someone recommended it to me, and then I liked it on Twitter. Like this is the kind of memories that you have. But this also means that there's a lot of quality metadata in it. You could collect so much metadata, or the software can collect so much metadata about how relevant this content is to you, and you get 
two, the two things that we needed. We needed to have a product that allows you to share quality ratings mm -hmm. and contextual information, your paths through the web mm -hmm. um, effortlessly. You don't need to do any extra work. You don't need to press a button and say like, oh, I want to share this article. I want to now give them a rating. You could do, like at least theoretically there's all the data there to do that. Mm -hmm. And because it's a problem that affects everyone to a certain degree, over time, the potential is there that everyone in the, on the web uses it. Right? Mm -hmm. And so you have this foundation with Memex to go there. Um, and yeah, so... Uh, I think together now with interoperability as a foundation, mm -hmm. plus the business model that, that doesn't require us to scale as our company to 3 billion users, mm -hmm. everyone could get the Memex that serves their needs the best. Because in the end, knowledge management is so diverse for every single person. You would use it completely differently than a journalist, a student, a scientist, or whatever. Right? Like, knowledge management needs to be adaptable to exactly your workflows, how they are served right now. Mm -hmm. And I believe by having interoperability built in and having a model that doesn't require us financially to, to uh, make one solution, like Facebook is one solution and it needs to serve it's two billion. It's one stop shop. Yes, it, needs, it is built to serve two billion users well enough. But it's not, it's not built to serve every single person perfectly. So Memex is built to, is it already built with that? Is it, was it built with that in mind from the get-go? Is it already serving that? Or do you think that with time, with advances in, in your own technology and with the, your own data that you're getting, do you think that the longer it's building, the more perfectly it fits everyone? Yes, so definitely it's not yet at the point where mm -hmm. it's possible, but we have had this vision in mind from the beginning. Um, the steward ownership model as that put like the last piece together, um, so make an economic incentive to mm -hmm. it. But ideally, like we're already starting building it very modular, so over time we can like pull out more of the libraries that powered the software so that anybody could just take Memex, build it a bit differently and has the same data structure underneath um, than we have, maybe adding some specific features that are different. Um, yeah, that there are different for your workflow. Say, for example, you won't have a button on each um, result element shared to my social network. We might not we have not implemented it right now but mm -hmm. if you say I want to do this ideally you should just say install an, another Memex 2 that has this feature because I really really need it and I cannot wait for Memex 1 to build it mm -hmm. and I can just use it and just you can just use it and I can, I, but basically I don't need to wait for Memex 1 to build it I can just use Memex 2 and even use them in parallel <laughs> no one prevents me from doing that mm -hmm. if Memex 2 if Memex 2 is maybe just a sharing feature it's not even the whole inf like yeah, interface. Yeah. You could still use it, and uh, so that's that's how we hope through this modularity and interoperability that over time developers will come and build the tool with specific users in mind that have specific workflows that we won't cover. Okay, this next question is going to be like a big throwback on this interview already. Mm -hmm. You were saying the stewardess model. It's you raise, for example, 100k with a cap that's saying that you'll get a 6x return. And in the 6x return, it's assuming that you buy back the shares. Mm -hmm. Can you do it later? Can you then re-raise some later? Yeah. 
is that the, the normal ID, is that the normal development or not? You could re-raise as often as you want. And actually, the cool thing is the way I structured it, uh, it doesn't uh, negatively influence the first investors. Um, so, you know, like if we would mm -hmm. re-raise more and would in-depth us even more over time, mm -hmm. then the first investors might say, um, uh, what about my money? Do, am I in danger if you re-raise? Mm -hmm. Right? That is the, the problem at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and we, so... Basically, the structure is the following. We, pay, we use 25% of our profits mm -hmm. before interest and taxes. We use 25% of that to pay back the investor pool. 12.5% of that go to the last remaining... 12.5%, so... So half of that. Okay, so 50% of the 25% yes. that you... Okay. Go to the last or the first investor still not paid out. Okay. So the, 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 there's a pool one and pool two, and the pool one is paid out to the, the first investor that is still in the race, race mm -hmm. or is like still there, and the rest is going to be paid out to the rest. And once the first investor is paid out, we don't have to pay him anymore, right? So you and get the, the shares back automatically, or does the investor stay with the shares? No, no, no. They, we buy them back continuously. So, okay. So as you're, so basically it's like, um, hmm, that's interesting. Okay. So basically, it, this was a big throwback. So I buy this glass of water, I go buy this glass of this glass, I pour in water, and as the building, uh, as your business is growing, you're getting the water out of it, and mm -hmm. then I can buy more water. Yeah. Actually, for investors, this is another advantage uh, as compared to a VC model. In a VC model, you wait five to 10 years, mostly 10, mm -hmm. to get an exit. If? If. If, you, if one of those 10 companies gets you an exit, then you wait 10 years for an exit. This means all your money, all the value is locked up in the company. In, in the steward ownership model, you get continuous payback and can reinvest all the money that you get during those 10 so years. So it's like dividends. It's like dividends, only that they're capped. And so... But are they capped from the get-go yeah. to eternity? Or can you imagine that I invest 100K at an X valuation? Mm -hmm. You said that I will not not get more than 600k. Yeah. After I, you do this, okay, I want to raise again. We're building this feature and this feature. Yeah. Can I then invest 100k again, but now with a cap of I want to make a 1 million? Oh, you probably get less out of that. Like because the risk is way less, right? Like you're you're if you invest in a high, in a highly profitable business already and you're investing 100k Either the company doesn't need additional funding mm -hmm. or if it needs like high growth funding, you know there is not much risk. So you might only get like three times the money back. But okay, it, and then instead of investing 100, can I invest 1 million in get? Oh, yeah, sure. If, 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 that is, if the company needs that and like you cannot just like uh, unilaterally decide, I want to give you another okay. million. But you could, if, if, if I then say, for example, or we as a company say, oh, we need another million and you say, oh, cool, I will put in another million, then the deal is maybe at a lower risk stage. Oh, that's a 3x maybe. So you get 3 million back over the next years. Hmm. And the, the like the, the only, say, influence that you have is not how much you get back, but how fast, right? Like, because if the, the faster the company makes the revenue, mm -hmm. the faster you get back. But once that is reached, there is no need to grow anymore. There's no, like, if you have paid back all your investors and you're at the comfortable stage as the business, mm -hmm. then you don't need to grow anymore. And 
now combine this with the MEMEX, you suddenly have an economic incentive underlying all of that to collaborate on the core infrastructure of the overlapping in, uh, technology. We could, for example, say all the MEMEXs, say, say in 10, 15 years, there's 3,000 different MEMEXs. Those 3,000 different MEMEXs, they all need a search library, they all need annotation features, they all need sharing features, they all need the dot protocol to work, or any kind of distributed protocol that works mm -hmm. with hash. Um, hmm. It makes actually more sense now since, oh yeah, combined with interoperability where mm -hmm. users can like move freely between those memexes, it makes actually a lot of sense now to collaborate on these libraries, right? Mm -hmm. And save us a lot, a lot, a lot of work by collaborating on the libraries and in turn build our software so well that they fit the specific users we want to serve perfectly. But they all can connect. They all can talk. They all talk similar or the same protocol. And so you, you create this, like this cluster, this network of social networks. Yeah. It's very interesting. Okay, if someone's in school or wants to live his business or, or wants to create something in this area, let's say, how would someone start and not be misinformed and learn more about this? either misinformation on the technological solution. How would someone try and build some technological solution eventually to cooperate with you once again, but how would someone start to even think about learning more about this? About that specific topic or their own? Their path? own topic, but their own path. But how did you get to your own topic? Let's f for, for, for me, like I said in the beginning, it was frustration, pure. Um, and realizing that I have confidence in that I have the right skills to do this. Okay. And um, what I mentioned is that I was really, really lucky that that came together, but I heard about a, a, a model, a, a way to come to this solution in a structured way. And you maybe know Stephen Codler from the Flow Genome Project? No, but I will... Stephen? Codler, K-O-T-T-L-E-R. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wrote, for example, Stealing Fire. I know, I know the book. So um, he has a, a process that you can go through as someone right now struggling to find your purpose, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so, so as an uh, on, entree, on, entry to this, mm -hmm. as an entry to this, um, the problem that we're facing specifically now in our generation is, is that we have endless options. We have so many options that we could pick and choose from in order to find our purpose, and that makes it so damn hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's this kind of ah, what do I do? Like, yeah, just so many options. And the 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 goal of this practice is how do I refine my senses in a way that once the right option, I encounter the right option, I feel it, I know it. And that is the, that is the goal of this. And basically, you, you have three lists that you start. And you can take your time, like take your own time to do them, but do them continuously and work on them continuously. Um, the first list, you write down everything that you're passionate about. So in the sense of what, you, what your talents are, what, make, what, is, what is fun in your life, uh, wh where do you have lightness, what do you... Um, love to learn and which stuff you already learned was so easy for you to learn because it was fun mm -hmm. like all these that makes up your passion your character 
in a way. And you just, like, once you start thinking about it, you realize there's so much. And you, meditation also helps, by the way. Like, meditation. And, Do you meditate? Yeah. Um, so, meditation helps a lot to, to get this kind of sensitivity, this awareness on those, like, how you feel. Like what kind of meditation do you do? Transcendental? Uh... I, I used an app to get into the called Headspace. Headspace, yeah. Which was really good specifically for me back then as a beginner. Um, now I mostly do free floating meditations. Um, I, I just pick and choose whatever mm -hmm. feels right um, for a particular day. Um, but yeah, so you, you start with that first list mm -hmm. on, on really getting to, the, to those passion elements of your life. Um, the second list is you make a list of like about 15 projects. Sorry. Yeah, the second list you um, you populate with about 15 of the problems in the world that you feel strongly emotionally connected to. Mm -hmm. uh, this could be a very personal problem. Say you... Uh, say you, you're, you got sick of shoelaces. <laughs> And you want to build auto zippers because they're like, it annoys you so much. And Back to the Future promised that. Yes, exactly. They promised that already and it's not here, so you might as well do it. Let's right? fucking do it. Yeah. So that's a problem really annoying me. Um, or it could be more worldly. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't really matter. It's really just write down 15 of the problems that you really care about mm -hmm. and that annoy you. Also a thing, just go through the world and, and take it up. And, and observe and that's why it also take your time to like fill these lists then you start um, prioritizing them a bit the first two lists mm -hmm. um, and then you start and then you start with the third list um, and in the third list you look for projects uh, or companies that work in the problem spaces you're most interested in or mm -hmm. most emotionally connected with and then look for the skills that you have, the passions that you have that fit into that company's purpose and role and whatever they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. How can you apply your skills with that passion in a project that is already doing it? And if there's none that's, that solves your problem in a satisfying way, then start your own if you want to do this, if that is mm -hmm. part of your passion. If entrepreneurship is part of your passion, there is probably another reason you couldn't start on your own if there's not a, a really good solution out there that satisfies it in a way that you want to or that you see mm -hmm. right. And out of that practice, there's like two really, really great outcomes. Um, for one, what I said in the beginning is that you get a sense of what really resonates with you because mm -hmm. you thought about it. And you took time for it. So once an option comes to you, be it a new job offer or any kind of friend coming to you wanting to start a new company or so, you know it. You really know it. And the You feel it. Yeah, you feel it. You feel it. Uh, and the second outcome is if you decide to apply for a job, mm -hmm. you're going to be already in the top 2% of the applicants. Because if you sit in front of a founder or a, a, a purpose-driven CEO and you say, I thought about this problem for a long time, it really pisses me off, I'm here. Then this founder already knows that you're going to go through dirt to solve the problem. And you, you love to go through dirt, right? It's not mm -hmm. like an exploitive, exploitive mm -hmm. thing. It's like you both know you're going to stick with it and you're going to have the emotional drive to, 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 to stay with that problem. And frankly, when I pushed out um, like job offers to, to, to like collect my team, mm -hmm. um, 
only those who who wrote me a message with this kind of knowledge about their purpose in the problem space, I could even consider. Because obviously, uh, if they don't if feel they don't the problem, feel it, yeah. then, it's, then it's not wor worth it for both parties in the end. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this practice is pretty sure this is going to help. A lot of my friends have done this and they have been pretty happy with it. So they should read Stephen Cutler, Stealing Fire and f follow this practice, the, the list. The yeah. Great. Let's go now to uh, Fireon. Do you know how Fireon works? Uh, I'll ask you a question and then you have to answer it in one minute. A pharaoh? Fire round. Okay. I don't know. So I'll ask you something and you answer it in one minute mm -hmm. or less. Okay. Tell me one to three books that most influenced you. Um, Ken Wilber, um, Theory of Everything. Okay. Um, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. And my last one doesn't have to be three. Just one, two, three. I have one in mind that is was really impactful, but I cannot. You know, when you know of a book mm -hmm. that is impactful, but you cannot recall it. There is one. If I come up with it later, I'll maybe just tell you. But yeah. Um, what's your favorite tool? I mean, I assume you. I know right now, but what's your favorite tool slash the tool you wouldn't be able to live without? Uh, it's certainly Memex, <laughs> for one. Like I really use it every day, um, and but that's like shamelessly self-promoting. <laughs> um, is there another tool I really like using? Yeah, my laptop. Like without my laptop, you wouldn't be able to live. Yeah, practically. Like, um, yeah. Uh, tell me something you've changed your mind in the last six months. I made a lot of like transformational work in the last six months. So I wonder like what was the particular thing? Maybe my own perception of how cool how I, I could um I was I was breaking up with my girlfriend mm -hmm. and um I thought I'd be cooler about it I'd be, I'd be cooler about the whole process mm -hmm. and, um, I, w I was under the impression I'm not as easily triggerable mm -hmm. as I was during this like with this relationship but that's not really changing your mind about a topic um, yeah I don't I, yeah I good question I have to think about that more actually okay um, if you had to start right now from scratch everything with all the knowledge that you have mm -hmm. where would you focus instantly building memex instantly like yeah getting that on the road that's interesting and this is actually something that i i i like to i like to ask this question because i think all the people that i've asked this question until now other than the first episode i think all people said if i wasn't starting from now i would build this If I wasn't building this, I would be building this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, when I, when I 
first ask this question to myself, so what would I be able to interview? I always assumed someone would say, oh, I would focus on this area, but I, I assumed people would say this. Mm -hmm. But all the people that I've interviewed always go back to, this is my passion. I would be doing this, maybe not with this name. Mm -hmm. I would go through a different approach, but I would tackle this problem. I think yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine that a lot of people, specifically founders, that have not given up on the project mm -hmm. would say, of course, I would just go straight to the point I'm right now <laughs> to, to continue my work here. Okay, now for the plugs. Uh, where, they, where can people find you? Mm, you can either um, go to our website, it's worldbrain.io, where you can, like world, like our world, mm -hmm. and your brain, uh, .io, um, or you can follow us on Twitter, um, slash worldbrain, on Facebook, slash realworldbrain, <laughs> um, and uh, soon also on Instagram, um, yeah. And so. where and where can they find you, Oliver? Oh, my, oh, my, oh, yeah, I thought you were talking about no, that. No, 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 it was both things. I'm actually not really active personally um, mm -hmm. on Twitter. I have an account, but I don't use it that often. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to contact me, you can write me an email, uh, ollie at worldbrain.io, or find me on Facebook, um, Oliver Sauter. It's actually slash Oliver Sauter. I was really lucky to get my, oh, nice. my whole name as a, um, as a domain URL. Very good. Well... Thank you very much for the time. It was a fascinating interview and it was like actually a great pleasure having you here on the show. Likewise, actually. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Thank you. I wish you all the best for your podcast. Um, if I can help at any point in time, please let me know. Thank you very much. Have a great day. And everyone, have a great day as well. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for plugging into this conversation. The first hour and a half podcast that I'm pretty sure that could have gone three hours. Oliver is truly a very intelligent person and I hope you one day get the chance to meet him or talk with him further. Thank you, Oliver, for the time you put into this conversation. Any information that you might have missed will probably link up in the show notes. If you enjoy this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get more people and help everybody be the pioneers of their own lives and careers. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Leave a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you might be listening to it Pocket Casts, Overcast, Spotify, whatever. Once again, it was truly a great pleasure having you over there. Have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.